safe space. We ain't never give a reason you should hide. Compile all your questions. We're taking the quest. Join Tarsha on this journey to discover the rest. Go. Welcome to the Adoption Journey Podcast. I am your host, Tarsha Smith, and thank you so much for joining us today on yet another journey. Um, before we get started, I want to remind you, don't forget to go and become a supporter over on uh, Patreon. We got a lot of great stuff going on over there. But we're going to dive in today. I'm very excited to have Tara with us today. She is a fellow adoptee correct? I am. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So my first question always, how old were you when you found out that you were adopted? Yeah. um, So my stories, I was 11. So I I lived with my biological family until the age of 11. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So you were with your biological family. I was foster care and then adoption or no, no, I was, um, so never entered foster care. Thank goodness. I felt lucky to not have to enter experience all that. Mm. Um, but no, I lived with my first family, my biological father and mother until the age of 11. Uh, and then I ended up, I know we'll kind of get into it, but, uh, lived with my maternal uncle and his wife, my aunt, who I call mom and dad, um, that eventually adopted me at the age of 13. And so I have to ask, um, and if you can tell, and if not, just pull me back. Yeah. Um, what happened with your parent, your biological parents? Yeah. A lot. Um, well, and I'm laughing because it's my natural way of sort of getting through my, like the daunting feeling that's overwhelming me right now of talking about it. Like, where do I start? Um, yeah, my, my biological mother, um, had a mental health condition and, and you may stop me and ask me a question. Um, but later on in life, right, she's still living now and I have communication with her, um, mm-hmm. I discovered, and I'm still trying to figure out if it's accurate or not, um, but that she also had a developmental delay. And mm-hmm. so that kind of didn't create such a great environment. My father worked odd hours and a lot, um, worked the graveyard shift a lot, so it left me with my mother and my biological sister. Um, which kind of put us in very confusing situations at times. So it wasn't a very safe environment. Okay. Yeah. And is it one of those things where the state it had to step in and say, we have to remove these? No, thank goodness. No. Um, you know, I had family to sort of, you know, my uncle, I remember people sitting, I remember my biological parents sitting with my adoptive parents and, it's kind of a blur, but I do remember them speaking about, you know, the importance of me being safe. Um, and so, you know, that led to me moving in with my, at that time, my uncle and his wife, um, okay. while my sister stayed behind. That is, 
that's what I was going to ask about. Yeah. Was it you and your sister or? No, my sister was, so I was more the quiet one. Mm-hmm. And that sort of like just, you know, I didn't cause any trouble because I kind of saw what was going on around me. Um, I chose to go the opposite, polar opposite. My sister was involved, you know, with people that weren't so great for her at a very young age, just given okay. what she, you know, was kind of taught and allowed to do. Uh, she was, she didn't have any guidance. We didn't have guidance. Um, and so, I think at that time she was in a juvenile detention center and, and she's younger. She's older. She's, she's two older. years older. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're the baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, they were yeah. like, okay, well, we're going to take this one because this one is already spinning. It would seem like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, it's not something I really thought about for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I think as I got older and, I don't know, just, you know, my brain developed more. I was able to kind of like process it more, but yeah, I didn't really think about it like that then. Um, But yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. Because she was still a kid, but it's interesting that they chose to, oh, you know, of course we don't know what the whole conversation was but it's interesting that it ended up I'll say that just being you yeah and they got to go live so when you went to go live with your um, uncle did life get better uh Uh, like immediately you mean like once I started living with them or kind of over time living there over time was it weird at first Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you know him like that to be going to live in his house? I knew him as Uncle Billy. I knew him as the, you know, the uncle who came into town and would come take the the kiddos and buy them presents. And, you know, he was the fun uncle. Um, And who was that your mom's sibling or dad's? My my mother's brother. Okay. Yeah. But just still it, essentially a stranger to have to go and live with. It's one mm-hmm. thing to come in and spend a little bit of time with you and you give me gifts. Something totally different if I have to now do life with you. Completely. Yeah. <clears throat> it, I feel at 11. I was 11. I was 11 when I started living with them. It's kind of a complex situation. So, um, to kind of like in a nutshell, I lived with him at 11 due to what I was experiencing. Um, you know, I'm comfortable sharing that now. It's part of my story. But I, you know, thankfully never experienced things like rape. Um, but, you know, there were other scenarios that could have led to that. And mm. so it wasn't a safe environment. Um, and so... At 11, I went with them, and then I ended up, and it was kind of a blur for a minute there um, as I processed through it in therapy, which I think is so important. Um, Yes. But I then went back with the understanding that I was going to go back. And when you say back, you mean back with mom and dad? 
Yeah, so when I left my aunt and uncle um, and went back with my biological parents, I had this understanding for whatever reason that I was going to go back to my aunt and uncle and finish out the school year. Okay. Um, Wait, I do. Let me ask you this. How far away did you move? Like, are you out of state, just a different city? mm -hmm, Yeah, so I was living in Texas and then I moved to Florida. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. That, that, that changes the game. Yeah. You are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally out of your element. Fish out of water. For yeah. sure. I felt safe. So to, to answer your question, I felt safe going into their home, but it was a little, I don't know. It was a little weird for me because of backing up a little bit of, having to go back with my biological family Mm -hmm. with this understanding that I was going to go back and finish out the year. And maybe something inside of me felt like I really just wanted to stay with them. And I hadn't told them yet what happened to me. Um, And I ended up telling them. And I... Could you elaborate? Are you comfortable with sharing what happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, it was years of different experiences, um, that I kind of mentioned a minute ago, but mm-hmm. I think the straw, you know, whatever that saying is a straw that broke the camel's back, camel's back yeah. was, um, my sister's, and if she watches this one day, I love you. Um, but my sister's significant other at that time was much older than me. Um, and I, you know, there was molestation. Um, and so you can imagine going back Mm -hmm. into that environment. I just remember like pulling and reaching from any which way of any family member who would allow me to stay with them and, Basically, what happened is I ended up moving in with my grandmother. Okay, I have a question. <laughs> sure. Because now that you've mentioned grandmother, in my brain, typically um, when there's something going on, usually grandparents are kind of the first people to step in and be like, hey, so mm-hmm. were your grandparents in the picture? I'm just trying to understand how you ended up with an uncle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So- my grandmother had her own set of, I love her. She's no longer here, but I love her. But she had her own set of like, she drank, you oh, know. Okay. So. She was sort of in that. Gotcha. I, I don't it. know. I get it. I get it. And then I think on top of that, raising a child, she had four kids, mm-hmm. uh, three girls, one boy. And my mother, my biological mother was the oldest. And I think spending so many years um, taking care of her. And it makes so much sense to me now. It was almost as if I put a puzzle piece Mm. in and I went, oh, my God. When I found out from my biological mother is under hospice care right now. I'm sorry. And. It's okay. She's comfortable. Um, thank you. Um, but it took the hospice nurse to tell me 
just in some intake that they had to do, you know, oh, and is this right that your mom had or has cerebral palsy? And I went, oh, what I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wow. And if, you know, I did a little bit of looking up on it um, at that time and I knew a little bit about it, but there's a developmental piece to it. And so it was just kind of like putting a piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. in my story and going, it wasn't just mom's mental health. It was also developmentally Mm. this lack of ability to really fully be able to be present as a parent without help. So my grandmother, yeah. yeah. So I think to answer your question, my grandmother probably was just checked out. Yeah. I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand. So you go back to Texas and then you end up living with your grandmother. Even is she still checked out by the time you get there? Every time I ask this question, you smile. You're like, well, I, well, you know, and she was sort of like the matriarch, like everyone Uh goes to grandma's house, you know, holidays, birthdays, grandma took care of everyone. Um, I don't, I don't think she was checked out. And I think certain parts I'll, I'll just choose not to share. Cause I think, you know, that's fine. But to read your story. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I think to read between the lines with that, um, she loved me. She took me in. She had a spouse at the time who I am grateful for, um, bringing me in, but she still had an alcohol problem, you know, so she wasn't really present. She was at the local bar. So (laughs) I love you, but yeah, I I, I hear you. So by the time you get to grandma's house, how old are you now? I was still 11. I think it was like between 11 and 12. Oh my gosh, you had so much happen at 11. That's a lot. That's a lot of bouncing around and then a year's time I was mm-hmm. under the impression we had moved forward just a little bit in your age but Mm-mm. so how no. long do you stay with is is this where you remain or, or do you bounce around once again mm-hmm. no I didn't remain there um I remember at some point her basically saying you need to we need to get you back with your parents um and I remember moving in at that point, my parents were going through a divorce. Okay. So my mom was living on her own. Dad was living on his own with my sister primarily, who also had the boyfriend still at that time kind of around. Um, and I was at that point, I went and I moved back in with my father. So back into the situation. Mm. Um. And do you stay there through, how long do you end up, like when you move back in and then these things are happening, I want to tap into what was going on with you. Cause you still got to go to school. Mm. You still got to, you know, try and function <clears throat> outside of the home. Do you remember what that was like for you? Yeah, I think when you're in a situation like that, you are in survival mode Mm. 
and I very much was in survival mode. I can't thank my best friend enough. That's still my best friend till this day. Um, I can't thank her enough for introducing herself to me in PE class in middle mm -hmm. school because, and I've talked with her mom as adult, as an adult now, I've talked with her mom about sort of that time frame in my life. And I remember having the conversation with her mom and, you know, I asked her, I said, did you, did like, did you know what was going on? Were you, how aware were you, you know? And um, she said to me, and I'll never forget this. She told me about this conversation happened about six months ago. Mm. Um, she said, Tara, I, I had a conversation with another kid's mom, uh, which was another friend of ours. And she said to that mom, what do we do? Do we call DCF? Mm. What do we do? And she looked at, the other mom looked at her. And then my, my friend's mother looked back at the other mom and she said, I mean, I guess she ha she has us. She has us, so we don't need to do that. And I just spent a really, like, every day at my best friend's house. Um, they were looking out for you, and you didn't even know it. I It gives me goosebumps every time I think about it till yeah. this day because I just can't thank them enough for being a pivotal peace in my life because you should they not have been there. important yeah. about that is there are kids going through stuff and you know somebody might watch this right now and they don't even realize that somebody is watching somebody is paying attention someone has really got your back in the way they're navigating it you're oblivious to it right now and that's what was happening with you and that's a blessing absolutely and it, and it definitely happens because people do pay attention mm -hmm. and, and when you're a, a kid you don't realize right and there's a way um and I guess in your case, you know, they they said, should should we call DCF? But I don't know. Maybe there are times when if the village would just step in. A hundred percent. you don't have to get, you know, because when you call DCF, then that's a whole. <laughs> and sometimes, let me just say this, sometimes it is necessary that DCF is called for yeah. sure. I think the system is absolutely broken right um yeah. <laughs> we could go on for hours i'm sure hours <laughs> but i i feel like i would have gotten lost in the system like i just if that if that call would have been made i would i wouldn't be where i am today for sure mm -hmm. um but i would i felt like i would have gotten lost in the system so yeah i think that ability to just have that not kinship but um village that yeah, the, the village. those adults that yeah, cared the village so um so do you end up by the time like you go through middle school you go through high school is there still a lot of bouncing around at what point do you land and you're mm -hmm. like okay I'm mm -hmm. stable I'm here and I have to get clarity on this but I'm pretty sure my best friend's mom had something to do with it <laughs> um but I think she had a conversation with my grandmother, mm -hmm. like a really honest, 
conversation of, listen, I know what's going on. Um, and at that point, I remember going and living back with my uncle and my aunt, um, my adoptive parents that I call them mom and dad. So, you know, but just to kind of not create any confusion. Um, and so it was, it was seventh grade. I was like right there at that 11 to 12 year old marker. Okay. Um, but I wasn't adopted until 13. So I did finally end up back at their house and I had a conversation of, which was extremely scary for me at the time. I said, I just, I have to tell him. I, I was screaming out for help basically of like, I just want safety. Um, yeah, you want to feel safe for sure. Yeah. And I told him and they, they, they said, absolutely. You're not going back. We're sorry. I'm so glad to hear that was the response because unfortunately sometimes when kids tell they're not believed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wasn't believed by my grandmother, you know, when I had disclosed previous stuff to her. Um, but again, I think she came from that mentality of like old school, hush, hush, you don't talk about oh, it, you sure. know? Um, so I, I have experienced, you know, this being vulnerable and saying something and at least to family, but yes, I feel very lucky that, you know, speaking to it with, with my adopted parents, that it was something that they were receptive to and received. So by the time you, you land and then you're back with your aunt and your, your uncle, are you st like, you know, when you go through high school and everything, because the way that you were adopted is like, um, I'm just going to say non-traditional right. in the sense, quote unquote. So how does one feel when they've been adopted in this manner? Like, do you feel like um, you can't go to your parents? Do you feel, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, unattached from your parents? Are you deciding to make a, I don't know, to not have a relationship? And, you know, I'm going to force this relationship over here with who you now call mom and dad. Like, what does that mm -hmm. look like? I think in the moment, and I can speak, Speak about it from like an adult's from now me as an adult but in the moment um it was super confusing mm. <laughs> I I look back on photos of my adoption day of the day I was adopted um I just remember like I was the youngest child and then I was adopted into being the oldest child mm. My cousins, who I call my brother and sisters, um, you know, they had just had my brother who was like three at that point, mm -hmm. and then they had my middle sister. So I went from youngest to oldest. So that was weird in and That's of itself. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just remember being there in front of the judge that day and kind of like sitting at the tables and the attorney and my family and family behind me. And like, I, I looked and I went, this feels supportive, but what? I don't, I, this doesn't feel, it feels weird. It didn't feel natural. It didn't feel natural. 
at all. Um, and I just kept thinking, this is okay, you're safe, you know. I, that went through my mind, this is okay, you're safe. You're safe. Mm. And I want to know if there was just something inside of you, regardless of whatever the situation was at home, that you still just wanted to be with your your biological mom and or dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. So I remember after I was adopted, I obviously had conversations with my biological mom um, through telephone. And then if we would go for family events, um, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and I would see her mm -hmm. and I would occasionally see my father. Um, but day to day and then during those moments, I absolutely, it's just, it's kind of when we talk about that, like, you feel like you're just somewhere in the middle and, and here's your first family and here's your adopted family and where the heck do I fit in? You know, that's, that's been the majority of my thought process. And what's, you know, what's interesting about your statement is that you are amongst family. And mm -hmm. still had the question, where do I fit in? A hundred percent. Yep. That is, wow. Mm -hmm. Even amongst family and, and because you have been shaken up and moved here, moved there, you've been disconnected. Now yeah. I'm trying to figure out where does my piece of the puzzle fit in? It's very hard to find that. Yeah. It's very, and it doesn't, you know, some people might argue, you know, whoever watches this, if they disagree, I don't care. <laughs> but someone might argue, yeah, <laughs> someone might argue that, you know, yes, kinship care is so appropriate, but it comes with its own complexities, right. you know, and I would argue, although I feel fortunate enough to know my first family. It just brings a whole nother layer to it of that whole piece of where in the heck do I fit in and where do I stand my, where am I standing? Cause it's gotta be weird too. I don't know. You tell me cause I've never um, experienced this, but going to the family functions. Oh, mm -hmm. look, there's my mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I th knowing what I know now, when I when I tried to, I did, you know, as a child experiencing that, mm. I didn't quite know the feeling and the emotion until now as an adult. Um, but I remember going to events and seeing my biological mother, seeing my father, seeing my sister, sitting at the on the stools in my grandmother's kitchen watching her bake the cookies for, you know, Christmas or whatever um, while smoking her cigarette and putting it out on the ashtray. Um, I remember these things and I remember this feeling of like, the only way I can describe it is like guilt. Hmm. Like a feeling of guilt. Why? Of here I am seeing these people that birthed me uh -huh. and raised me for 11 years. And it's something that I now know through treatment. That's not my fault. It's not my fault. I get that. But identifying it and, and really what it was at the time was 
this feeling of guilt, of like misplaced guilt, like taking on this feeling of guilt of, you know, I'm in a better place and yeah. And you might have also been feeling that because I, I was just thinking about your sister. She's watching you go through all this, mm-hmm. but she's not going through any of this. Mm-hmm. You might have been taking on guilt because of feeling, you know, like some type of way, or she might have been feeling some type of way. Do you do you know? Yeah, we we talk almost daily now. Um, she has her own sets of feeling set. You kind of hit the nail on the head. <laughs> like she, you know, is not going to tell me, you know, I feel angry because you got out of it and I didn't. She's not a very emotionally available person. Um, she spent a lot of time having to sort of stay in survival mode and she's a, doing great now. Um, but we talk nowadays and I finally have gotten her to a point of like, like, can you just, can you please have a conversation with me? Listen, <laughs> you know, it's probably very hard for her. Cause like you just mm-hmm. said, when you grow up in survival mode, nothing else is important. Mm. I just got to give from day to day. I got to make sure I got something to eat. I got to make sure I have some money in my pocket. I got to make sure I have some place to sleep. Anything else it's not important. And even, um, you know, as you're growing up, learning how to communicate, that's not important. Is that yeah. going to get me where I need to, you know, they're just getting from point A to point B to point C. Cause I know people like that as adults that have spent their life in survival mode. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's just, oh, so exhausting. I, yeah. So exhausting. So the fact that you've got your sister to a point that you can, have even a small conversation. That's progress. Mm-hmm. I applaud you. Yeah. That's progress. The fact that you all talk almost every day, that's mm-hmm. progress. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. I she she probably feels in a certain sense that she would have appreciated being in a safer space. Mm, um I'm sure. but she also was the one excuse me, that told me, um, do you hear my dog? It's fine. (laughs) Um, she was also the one that had told me, you know, after I was adopted and I went off to my undergraduate degree, I went to Florida state and I was 17 going on 18. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, both my degrees are from there. Um, and she was the one that told me that, you know, and, and, What's the truth, right? My adopted parents, till the day they die, will probably say one thing. My biological family will, or, you know, my biological parents will probably say another. But I remember her saying, you know, dad, my biological father, dad Mm -hmm. has been trying to talk to you for a long time. Mm. And I said, what? And Ooh. she said, yeah, d- you don't, you didn't know that? Like, dad tries to call, dad tried to send letters. Hmm. Um, but when I talk to my adoptive parents, it's like, no, you know, when he knew 
and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this in a way that like, I just, I love my adopted mom and she, she's just only telling me her side of the story, but she says the moment he knew that he did not have to financially care for Uh, you, that he tapped out. He was like, okay, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine signing these papers, you know? The way I see it is a little bit of both. Um, I see it as he loved me and he cared for me. He also was one of 12, 11, 12 kids, had to drop out of school at a really young age. Survival mode. Survival mode. And he knew how to read, he knew how to write, but I just think that, like, he didn't quite understand what it was that he was signing. Mm. And I'm not sure they did a very good job at explaining that to him. Now, have you had, oh, well, have you talked to him? So, I never approached that conversation with my biological father. He passed away in 2017. Okay. Um, so I never really had that conversation. I just kind of like over the years would keep in communication with him and just have that surface level, like, how are you doing? You know, gotcha. Um, but I was with him. I, I feel comforted knowing that I was with him the day he passed, you know, I was holding his hand and I remember him kind of holding on and, um, and I feel peace, you know, knowing that I, I remember saying, it's okay. We're okay. going to be okay. okay. We're all going to be okay. Uh, cause I had a biological, I have a biological sister full blooded. And then I have three half brothers right. from my dad's previous so, marriage. I want to so, ask you after hearing this story and, and, and <laughs> what this has been like for you. How are you, the adult, Tara? How are you doing? How mm. are you navigating today? That's so funny. You use the word navigating, and I wanted to talk to you about a workbook I'm coming out with. Um, okay. I so don't let me forget, but I because part of the the title is navigating adoption. Oh, um, so you use the like word that navigate. Confirmation for you, right? <laughs> Um, I think I'm, I feel that I'm navigating it well. I, I'm, I'm a therapist also, like I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't mean we don't have our problems. Even the therapist needs therapy. But, um, I think if I didn't have that viewpoint of things, it would make it a little harder. But I think Mm. I'm, I think I'm doing okay. I think there's still a sense of emptiness and sort of like, I still feel like, where am I? I'm right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now did your experience in life, is that what uh, prompted you to become a therapist? Um, I think so. I partially, uh, so I'm adopted obviously. Um, but I'm also a birth mother. My daughter will be 18 in August. I was turning the corner. I was coming, I was coming around the mountain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
so, you know, I've seen kind of both perspectives. I don't know if that helps at all, but so, okay. So then I'll pull it, pull it back. Cause I, when we were talking, I was like, I have to, I was getting there. <laughs> I did not forget about that. Yeah. So how do you come to that decision that to, to have to become a birth mom? Oof. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I listen to a lot of other adoptees and I, I, I feel that I, I like to hear other people's perspectives. Um, and I know that there's some out there that are pretty angry, right, about being adopted. And so, um, I always tread this conversation lightly you know, but I'm learning as I'm on my journey to just like, it, it is what it is. And this is my story. But, um, I think that everything kind of happened at once when I learned of my father, my biological father, you know, reaching back out or, or what, what my sister had told me about my dad, you know, mm -hmm. trying to keep in communication. So when I became pregnant, I was 18. I had Lizzie at 19 and it was right around that time of like, wait, my biological father was trying to communicate with me and just this like confusion. And again, yet again, where do I fit in? Um, I found myself, you know, in not such good situations, mm -hmm. um, while in college and became pregnant and I was scared. Yeah. I was for freaking sure. scared. Yeah. Um, and so did you decide, um, was it an open or closed adoption? You... So I have an open adoption. Um, okay. I haven't actually had like physical contact, you know, okay. in-person contact with my daughter since she was five, five okay. or six. But I communicate like every couple to a few months with her mother, her adopted mother. Um, we have each other's cell phone numbers. We're on each other's Facebooks. You know. Now let me ask you this: as um, as a birth mother, do you feel like that's confusing for your daughter, or has that been confusing to ask because? You know, you talked about feeling confused amongst family and, you know, mm -hmm. in that situation. So to have been adopted and then I have my, she has her adoptive family, but then I've got um, my biological mom that, you know, communicates here and there. Mm -hmm. Is that confusing for the child? Uh, so yes and no. Yes. I think it's confusing for her. I think it's, it's that idea of like, where do I fit in, you know? But I think, I hope, at least from what I'm seeing, that by her knowing that we're communicating openly, mm -hmm. that that might help with it not being as confusing, right? Mm -hmm. She's always going to have that space of something's missing, you know? Um, but... I, I think that adoption should be the last resort. 
Mm-hmm. I think there should be so many services that are in place to help families stay together. Even knowing that I knew what adoption was before I made my decision, I probably could have had a lot more support from the adults and professionals around me Mm. to teach me, hey, this is how you can make it work. And although it's scary. A lack of resources. Absolutely. And you're like, I don't have another choice. This is this is the choice that I'm going to have to make Yeah. at this time. And you're young 19 year old mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For yeah. sure. And I hear, I hear that a lot between a lack of resources, a lack of money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I personally just, you know, I am not an adoptee that's angry. Let's just start there. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my story. Um, but I understand what it's like to, I don't even know if I want to call it confused, but just, you know, just wanting to know. And I think the beauty in having the open adoption, although I wouldn't know what that would feel, my adoption was completely closed. So I don't Mm -hmm. have an experience in that, but just wanting to know, because I always wanted to know, where did I come from? Your daughter knows that piece. So I think that piece is what um, would help the adoptee when it comes Mm. to an open adoption to know to know oh yes no yeah that's what you look like she knows where she comes from you know just just knowing and maybe and I don't know you know it depends on the individual person whether or not they feel confused or lost because the biological parent um, was coming you know in and out my question would be, as a kid anyway, would they think, well, if I see them from time to time, how come I can't go with them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't it's know. so complex. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, so it's so complex. And I don't have, there's no definitive answer, but those are the questions that I think about. And yeah. just out of sheer curiosity, what is that like? for that adoptee mm-hmm. confusion at times yeah it i i firmly feel that when you when you talk about when you talk to a person who's been a, who is adopted and they're a minor as early on as you can talk about it studies show mm-hmm. that if you talk about it in an age appropriate way throughout their entire life and you talk about the elephant in the room in an age-appropriate way, it's going to be better for them. It won't take away the shame, the guilt, the, you know, confusion with identity, all of that. It won't take any of that away, but it'll help a little bit. I can speak to that for sure, because I was told at a very young age. and But I didn't have, I've never been ashamed I'm being adopted. I was actually very proud to be adopted. Um, if anything, because my parents are old school and they were just like, okay, you don't have to tell everybody. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because they come from an era of, you know, you just don't talk about yeah. that. Um, I was telling everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Okay? Because, you know, but it did not take away just the wanting to know, the longing to know, because yeah. I didn't grow up look, uh, seeing anyone that looked like me. And I never felt out of place. Just I know I don't look like anybody. I know I do things a little different, but that those as far as moving differently, that didn't come until like high school when I started knowing a little more about DNA and that, oh, okay, yeah, I do things a little bit different. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get, yeah. And I understand why I probably, you know, uh, do. So I, I think it's probably an individual, dip, and, but I am a, like an advocate, like you said, tell them early and speak about it in an age appropriate manner. Yeah. It will save you some problems in the, in the end, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. I, I, I like have this desire to talk about this right now, so if I can, but, um, can I touch a little bit just on like, I really feel that, you know, like I said, there needs to be services in place for people to stay together and that this is a systemic issue. Mm. And talk I just, it. yeah, Go ahead. cause I, I am adopted and I am you know, a mother who made a decision to relinquish my rights. Um, But I've also done this adoption work. I work in the field of adoptions um, for the last, you know, since 2010. And I just, I feel angry right now, Mm. you know, because I just feel like there's so much that can be done to preserve the family and to not have to get to the point of adoption, right? I still think adoption is something that I wouldn't be doing what I do if I didn't agree with it, but I think it can be something that works for a child and is necessary at times. But I think a lot of times things could be done on the front end Mm -hmm. to help keep families together. And there's not enough of that happening, Mm. especially with uh, legislation that's going on right now and sort of taking away from there's just a lot of people agencies attorneys who maybe should get on the bandwagon of how do we help people stay together although we might help with adoption how do we not feel afraid due to whatever financial reasons are there so let's mm-hmm. talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. How do we get to a point of ethical ethics and morals to make it better? And I know that might take more time on a different <laughs> conversation, but I have to say that I think that there should be a governing body, federal level, that oversees all that happens because it is so broken and people do things in such different ways and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be how it is today. Um, So I'll say that. No. And I love that you, you said that and I want you to touch on, unless you wanted to talk to me about it offline, I want to give you an opportunity to speak about the workbook that you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about it. I'm not done with it yet. Um, 
my good friend and colleague Veronica with Rooted in Adoption um, encouraged me to do this and um, she gave me a deadline, told me February. She helped me to oh, it. Um, ticking. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm almost there, but um, it's going to be titled Navigating Adoption um, in Reunion, Disenfranchised Grief and Learning to Heal Through It All. So, you know, it's kind of this, it's a workbook um, for adoptive parents. I'm kind of tweaking with if I want to just do it in the sense of it, teaching adoptive parents or for adult adoptees uh, specifically, but it's designed to sort of like walk you through the life as an adult who's been adopted because there's a lot of workbooks for children and not enough for adults. And um, it touches on things like when your birth parents pass or if they're aging and dying, you know, what does that feel like? Um, you know, just this searching, being in reunion, all sorts of different facets of it. Yeah, that's that sounds amazing because what you just said, I've never. Yeah, when they're aging or they're sick or they're they've they're passed or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I totally agree with you that there's not enough resources out there for the adult adoptee. Yeah, and then let's. I can break it down even more as a black person, the black adoptee. There's even less out there, which is why I do what I do. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for coming and sharing your story, talking about your workbook. Please keep me posted. Mm -hmm. I will shout it out when you know when you're when you're done with it I appreciate your story it's so um you have a different story mm. but I always say that we all have the same story but it's different yeah yeah <laughs> thank you for for having me I think if there's anything that I want to like say outside of what I just did. It's yes, um, educate say. these adoptive families, mm. elevate others who don't necessarily have a, you know, as many followers or space to sort of get words out, word out about education and, and teaching people about the different nuances and the trauma behind it. Um, but we, I do have a monthly um, Veronica and I um, have what's called Adoptee Brew, and every other month is virtual. Then we hold some in person. We have one coming up on February 18th. Yes. I don't That's know if she virtual, told you. Right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I should just... that one. Yes, please, please. <laughs> it's just an open, <laughs> open conversation for yeah. people to not feel and, scared to ask questions. And I will drop all of your links in the description of this um, podcast. And thank, thank you, you again so much for joining me and coming on here and telling your story. Every single story is important. And every time we open our mouths, we are definitely helping someone for sure. Thank you. You're welcome. And on that note, bye family. You need a pie with a good, 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 good